Welcome to Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and in this episode, I connected with Catherine Conway, who is the Managing Director of Programs at Amigos. Amigos offers cultural immersion experiences through summer volunteer and gap programs in Latin America. You can find out more about Amigos at amigosinternational.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. At High Five, one of our mottos is connect, empower, lead. Well, that's our main motto. It's all about connection. So connection is strong for us. And because we have, this is our first time interacting, what I thought we would do is we would each answer a question based on uh, this product. I don't know if you're familiar with this as I show this on the screen. We Connect Cards. Oh, but cool. Yeah. So um, this is by Chad Littlefield and Will Wise. I am not affiliated to them in any way, but... We, uh, I use these as ways to connect people. They have great questions. I've picked three possible questions. I'm going to let you decide which one we pick, but you're going to not see them. You're going to s- decide on them based on this image. It's an exercise image. Which one you're most <laughs> relating okay. to in some way? So this one seems like a side stretch. This one okay. here is like fingers interlocked, I think, and then extending outwards. Oh, yeah. like a back stretch. Yeah, like that. And then this one, I don't really know. It looks like there's wiggling a leg in a circle, potentially. So these are your... Well, maybe it's... That reminds me of, like, those skippets from our... Oh, years. yeah, absolutely. Um, so which one I do you... I will take the backstretch one. This one here. One. Okay, yeah. so the middle one. This is your choice. And we can... We'll both answer this question, but... Uh, what is the best, worst, or funniest job you've ever had? What is the best, worst, or funniest job you've ever had? The best job I've ever had was actually with Amigos, but it was working in um, Peru with the organization. Oh, wow. And it was amazing because I was working in the Andes. Um, oh. So I got to be outside every day. And um, the work we were doing was really awesome with Peruvian youth. I would say uh, my funniest, uh, I think it's probably my earliest also, was I was a, I did a paper round but I had a very specific niche. I was the paper round. I was delivering papers to old people's homes. So I okay. didn't have a bicycle because it was all in buildings. And I would have okay. to travel from building to building and up and down the f- stairs and just deliver to old people. Oh, my. oh you had to go to each room. Yeah, each room. Oh, my gosh. So I had like okay. loads of that papers. That would be so needed right now. <laughs> I know. And it was great because they This is like tipped. an essential service. Yeah. They, they tipped? Oh, they oh tipped incredibly well. I made a killing oh as a paper boy. Like, I, you know, that was an incredible, <laughs> incredible experience for me. Okay, so um, you you touched on in your uh, favorite job as working in Amigo. So uh, let's give a little bit about yourself and uh, what do you do at Amigo? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm the, currently the managing director of programs at Amigos, and. I'm really excited to be here on this podcast because of all the different topics that you all cover. Mm -hmm. Um, Amigos is a youth leadership organization, and we work to build leaders in the U.S. and in Latin America. And our model includes, you know, hands-on leadership experiences and cross-culture and service experiences. And 
I have been involved with this organization for many years at this point, um, mm-hmm. since I was 16. Oh, wow. um, and it's been really the backbone of what got me into working internationally in experiential education. How did you get the start at 16? Was there a program at a school or... Our core program is for high school students. Um, So I completed the program when I was between my sophomore and junior year in high school um, when I had the opportunity to spend the summer living in rural Paraguay. Wow. And how did you how did you get connected to it? How did you know of it? I was taking Spanish, um, which was is one of the prerequisites for participating in our longer programs. Mm-hmm. And some some older kids came to my classroom yeah. and presented on the summer that they had had in Nicaragua. And I was immediately, you know, taken in by the amount of adventure they had mm-hmm. and how independent they had been all summer. Yeah. What was that transition for you between being a participant and then being a having this as a career for you? Yeah, I would say, I mean, while the experiences themselves were challenging, knowing I wanted to do it was easy. And then while I was participating, the person who was my quote unquote supervisor who came to check on me every week in rural Paraguay was only two years older than me. So it made it really easy for me to say, okay, like in two years after I've completed my freshman year of college, I'm going to be this person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did that. Um, in Honduras after my freshman year of college. And I think one of the things that is so interesting about Amigos is that it allows you this like really, really big experience right when you're almost ready. (laughs) So you really have to rise to the occasion. But I was thinking about why I knew that I like wanted to do this even in the first place. And the roots of wanting to participate in Amigos for me really came from outdoor education. Um, I grew up in scouting, which had a lot of similar Mm -hmm. leadership experiences, and then um, participated in Outward Bound the summer before I did Amigos in high school. And I'm sure you know Outward Bound Mm -hmm. has this model where you sort of survive this experiential solo in the woods. Um, And that really, that set me up, I think, for like wanting to take on a longer experience. Uh, High five. We are fully immersed in experiential education. We're very, very connected to the Association for Experiential Education. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I speak to students who are interested in this field, I think that it's unfortunate. It's not the easiest answer, but the answer is if you want to work in this field, you have to experience this field in some way Mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to go and do those experiences. I think the tie-in for a lot of people who have found careers in this field are exactly what you said. You were a participant at some point and have gone through those programs and you get that bug. You realize Mm -hmm. like, "This Mm -hmm. this is what I would love to continue doing. What do you think in you, and you talked about you have to be willing, you know, have to have to put yourself out there, but what do you think in you led you to actually find this as a career? Because um, there's lots of people who do these experiences, but there's less people that take that next step. Mm-hmm. You know, I have reflected a lot on this topic, and I want to say it's one of those like chicken and egg situations. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure which came first. Yeah. I think I was drawn to Amigos because I, you know, grew up in a, a family where, you know, service and leadership were important. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think Amigo, the Amigos experience in Paraguay fundamentally shifted me. And from my outdoor education background, I was really ex- excited about the, the, the nuts and bolts of life that would be different in Paraguay. So the like sleeping on a cot or the bucket baths, but I wasn't ready to have my understanding of the world and my own privilege, understanding of privilege shift mm-hmm. Um, 
and building relationships in this context in Paraguay and really, you know, working through implementing projects in a small rural community changed my own understanding of the values of my culture and my family and made me start to question you know, the busyness and the drive towards success that I had experienced growing mm. up in the U.S. and my own role in what making change sort of looked like. And that really shifted how I saw this idea of other people or us and them. Mm-hmm. And it was this, that it like inspired this curiosity where I was like, I have to know more. I have to learn more about other cultures and other people. And um, it was this drive that you know, led me to want to study international relations and live abroad and work abroad. Um, And I see that change happen every summer with all of our participants. And that's Mm -hmm. what's so cool. Because even if our participants don't work internationally, I guarantee you if they see somebody struggling to ask for directions who speak Spanish, they're going to jump in. You know, oh, yeah. because they were that person yep. struggling to figure out where where to go in in rural Panama, you know, and oh, and someone in their community probably helped them, right? Yeah. So it's it's kind of that change of how humans interact that drove me to go into this field. And I think that I reflect from being international, coming from another country to the states, that it's my first interaction coming to the States was I worked at a summer camp that had 36 different countries represented in that camp. Wow. So it was a, a really, and it, they really developed the sense of this is about international community and we want our students or the kids that are coming in the campus to experience different culture. And I'm always shocked that the small number of people in this country that have passports that travel outside of the U.S. And I try to encourage people to travel because I think that I think what you touched on, it's more less about sometimes. Yeah, it's cultural difference, but it's also vulnerability. You owning yourself up to vulnerability Mm -hmm. and being willing to experience something new and scary and challenging and then overcoming that challenge yourself because that's what has that impact on people because there's that emotional tie it's not did I eat a food Mm -hmm. that was different but what kind of stretch did I have to go to in my learning that allows me to have an impact on it because that's the reason I stayed in the states I it was a it was growing for me I wanted Mm -hmm. to stretch myself in my own growing and how can I improve and then I was like wow this is something that I can give back to people that I work with. So I think that's the energy. Yeah. Here. And a few years ago, we adopted the motto, um, get out of your element. Yeah, I love that. And I think there's this really beautiful part of experiential education that stretches youth or anybody right to their limit mm. and then has a mentor there to help them walk through that. And I think that's like, I think the growth really happens when you're out of your comfort zone. And the thing about Amigos programs is you definitely will be, you know, you're living in a totally different context for mm. a significant enough period of time. So talk about a little bit about that with Amigos. If you were to enroll in the program, what what does the program look like for you as a high schooler? The majority of our programs take place in the summer months. Mm -hmm. And the nuts and bolts of the program are you spend four to eight weeks in a community in Latin America if you're a U.S. high school student. 
you're partnered with one other partner from the United States and potentially a partner from Latin America who could be from that community or from a different country. And you live in a host family either together or separate. And during the day, you're running summer camps for um, youth, for kids in the community. And then you're also working on what we call a community-based project, which is where we bring the whole community together to decide on a on a project that's of value to the community. Um, and we work with partner agencies who work in the communities full time and they sort of mentor the, the projects along as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we focus on, um, you know, conservation or youth leadership through sports. Um, so the projects are all aligned with different mm-hmm. themes. So other than the project work you're doing, you are really building a relationship with a host family, with other youth in the community. And once a week, you see a supervisor who's a college-age student who, you know, might bring your mail or supplies you need and, like, check in on your um, your emotional and physical health. And leading up to this experience, there's a, a year of training. We have chapters throughout the United States who run training programs. Or it can take place in what we call a gateway training, which is a five-day training prior to the experience. Which would be obviously incredibly intensive. (laughs) It would be intensive, yeah. And then for students who are a little bit older, we run a gap year program. So this is a full year program. It could be a semester or a year. And we run this program in South America. And students do internships. So you can really dig into something you're interested in before, you know, you decide what you want to study or you, you know, go to college. And so we have students who are working in public health in Ecuador, students who are working in conservation in Uruguay. Um, It's, I think it's really powerful. And I think, you know, with the cost of the sheer cost of college these days, I think, you know, there's a lot of power in taking a gap year. Oh, absolutely. Can you share some of your experiences with storytelling and how that that relates to leadership? Absolutely. So I I had the opportunity to work with an organization called Resonate um, in Rwanda that works with um, women um, to harness their power of storytelling. And this comes from an idea, the idea that there are, you know, there's a lot of untold stories and the ability to tell your own story is the first step in gaining a sense of agency over your life. Um, And then from there, you can go on to have that impact in your family, that impact in your community, that impact in your country. And Rwanda is a really interesting example. You know, we're 26 years out from one of the most violent conflicts we've seen in, Mm -hmm. in modern history. And so there's a power in how stories are not only told about that conflict, but how, you know, power dynamics and community dynamics shifted in the, um, post-conflict era in the country. Rwanda's, you know, there's memorials everywhere. um, And there's really powerful narratives of, you know, peace and change um, in the post-genocide era. And so there's this natural oral tradition that exists within the culture. So harnessing that and teaching young women to tell their own stories um, was culturally a you know, a good fit in that society, but it also comes from this tradition of community organizing. So the power of like knowing your own story, building a community story and having that sort of narrative drive change. I've seen that model inherent in a lot of experiential leadership, um, which I think is really awesome Mm -hmm. um, because it's all about 
building youth up so that they feel like they're empowered to, you know, take on whatever change they want to see. And one of the main reasons I wanted to come back to Amigos after taking eight years of working, you know, in East Africa and in Washington, D.C., um, was because I, I have seen youth starting to really lead these movements, mm-hmm. um, like the climate change movement we've seen in the past year. Yeah. And so I think there's this really awesome moment for experiential ed- educators like us to just mm-hmm. give them some more t- tools and experiences, um, because I think they are going to create the change that we like can't even imagine at this point. Um, which yeah. is what gets me out of bed in the morning. Oh yeah, and I think that's we. I was just having a, a conversation with some of our other trainers about the qualities of a of a good leader, and we were mm-hmm. discussing. I think there's there's role modeling, which is very key, mm-hmm. and then also the ability to be able to empower others. Stepping back, mm-hmm. the leader isn't the sage on the stage who's speaking all the time and issuing demands, mm-hmm. but is is the person that is giving the tools to somebody else so that their voices can be heard and that they they can be shared. So I think that there's so such great um, s- similarity there between, you mm-hmm. know, what we were discussing and what you were experiencing in Rwanda about giving mm-hmm. the voice back to the people who have the stories to tell mm-hmm. and letting them be empowered to be able to become leaders in their communities, giving them tools. Absolutely. And on like the nerdy side of this, one thing we cover in our programming is different models of leadership Mm -hmm. in different cultural contexts. And it's so fun to to just ask youth that question, like what makes a good leader? Mm -hmm. And half the people in the room are going to say, it's the person who stands up and starts talking. And that gives us this moment to say, okay, like let's break that down a little bit. Us at High Five, we don't really touch on it as much, although it does appear sometimes in our work as conflict resolution. What information have you gleaned from the conflict resolution world that you think is still is viable in leadership development work that you do? I'm interested in conflict resolution, you know, as it pertains to a hard leadership skill, right? Mm-hmm. Like learning how to manage conflict. But then I spent, have spent my, you know, life to this point studying international conflict resolution and the really critical role that, you know, leaders play in managing conflict on that level. And I think that so much of this is what has driven an interest in, in storytelling and digging into empathy and how humans connect as leadership skills. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes in societies that see lots of violence, it is cyclical it, cyclical in terms of like a huge violent uprising, like in Rwanda per se, or cyclical in the like ongoing violence that Central America is experiencing um, with gangs and other organized crime at this point. Um, and I think that empathy and human connection and tolerance for people from other cultures are sort of the values that will move us as a species through some of this mm-hmm. conflict. And so Developing, for me, trying to develop some of those those values and skills in youth, especially youth in the United States who may have a sense of privilege Mm -hmm. so that they don't necessarily see people trying to cross the border fleeing 
violence in Honduras as other, you know, they see them as human and along the lines of an experience that if they had been born in a different context, they could have experienced are really, really critical. I do think there's a role this pandemic is going to have in this of humanizing us all a little bit. You know, we're all suddenly vulnerable. We all could be at risk. I wouldn't say, you know, leadership in the U.S. is necessarily better than other countries at this point. So I think we're having a a real reckoning right now, Mm. you know, about what it means to all be really interconnected. So I'm not sure if that totally answers your question, but all I think all of these values are super critical right now. I've seen posts of people saying like, oh, working from home and stuff. And I realized, I don't think people realize that in itself is a privilege. And so people will just say, oh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough. Yeah, but you're lucky you can work from home. And so, but I feel like still the connection of us going through this global event once again, I lean on the positive and hope that something positive comes from it. I think it's going to increase empathy. I mean, even what we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that, oh my gosh, like maybe we need to pay teachers more because this is hard work mm-hmm. educating our children, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, even just these like little moments of empathy where, you know, maybe before this, I didn't know as many people who had been laid off as I do now. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case in so many communities, mm-hmm. you know, in economic recessions. Um, and so maybe I, it will increase my own understanding of other communities, especially communities of color who are being more impacted mm-hmm. um, by this crisis or communities in, you know, in India who are experiencing this in a totally different way um, than I may be in Colorado. What pieces of advice would you give to any emerging professionals in the industry who would either want who would want to get into outdoor pursuits or go into working in the gap year program or going into Amigos? What advice do you give them? I think you got to just do it. You got to live abroad <laughs> yeah. if you want to work in international relations. You have to be an outdoor educator. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to work in that realm, you have to get the, you know, the skill sets, whether it's like your woofer certifications for mm-hmm. that field or whether it's, you know, language learning on the international side. And this is like an awesome moment to keep learning languages. You know, that's like a very critical part of working abroad. The other piece is to find mentors and mentors are people who can coach you in these critical pivot moments. My current boss, the CEO of Amigos, it has been a mentor of mine for a long time. Yeah. And she, you know, was able to jump in in a situation where I was in a job that like wasn't a good fit a number of years ago and help steer me, you know, back into, you know, a direction where I felt really good about my career. Um, but there are people who are going to open doors for you. And I would encourage especially young women who want to work in these fields to find women who are, you know, five, 10 years older who can kind of help coach and navigate through all of the like exciting elements your career can take on. And I don't often like quote my mother, but one thing she always has said to me is you can have seven different careers, which I was thinking is funny because she really only had one career. But (laughs) You don't have to decide what you're doing at 23, right? You can like gain skills. You could gain skills in the private sector and then do a full pivot and go into outdoor education. You know, you don't, you're never stuck in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say my advice that is if you're not where you want to be, maybe 
in a little bit when the economy improves, you know, go ahead and like make that jump. Um, Cause the, the thing that will make you a good professional is loving what you're doing and being really happy about it. And so finding that is really important. And, uh, and I, I love what you said about the mentor and finding a mentor that aligns with you in some way. So for women finding a female mentor. And I think that's a really critical, I think it's a critical point and it's like a thing that we all need to consider working in this field of how do we you know include people from different backgrounds and how do we put people from different backgrounds mm-hmm. in leadership positions um, mm-hmm. because that will only help other youth see that this is really a possibility and I do think the outdoor industry particularly struggles with diversity um, and it's something that you know we can all be aware of as mm-hmm. we you know go through our careers. How do people find uh, out about Amigos? Where can they go? How can they contact you, Catherine, if they wanted to reach out and learn more about you, if they're intrigued and it is a piqued by this idea <laughs> as we've been talking about it? Yeah, so our website is amigosinternational.org and we are a few days away from launching our new online um, leadership accelerator for high school age students. Um, so come check out the website. There'll be a form where you can, you know, put your email in for more information. And we're still taking applications for our spring 2021 GAP programs. Um, so if you're, you know, ready to take on a big challenge and ready to get out of your house, you know, if it's possible, if we can travel, we're definitely going to make it happen. Um, so you can also check out that application information. Awesome. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Last question is a little bit lighter. It's based on information I found on your bio. And it was specifically the last sentence (laughs) (laughs) that said you have a love for cats, coffee and rock climbing. So first question, what do you love about cats? I have always loved cats. Um, I was raised in a family with only cats. I'm currently in my first situation where I'm living with a dog. Oh. Um, and so I've realized that I also love dogs. Okay, good. Which so it's not cat news. versus dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I have a cat who's named after um, a place in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo that I had the opportunity to visit when I was living in Rwanda. Um, so he's lovely um there are a number of people on the internet who are combining cats and rock climbing so if that's a thing that interests you i would recommend checking out adventure cats on instagram oh wow Um, that's awesome yeah okay that's cool i i unfortunately am allergic to cats so i don't want that but my wife loves cats and we have a dog so i i'm not anti-cat i just can't really have them around me and then the next question is can you share a special experience rock climbing? Because I know that that is a, a passion of yours too, combining with the cats, but uh, a special experience you've ever had rock climbing? Yeah, I absolutely can. Um, I have loved, I have been exposed to the outdoors. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Unfortunately, I somehow got into rock climbing while going to school in Boston. Um, oh. And so it took me about 15 years to um decide to move back here last year to pursue outdoor passions, um, to have the access to pursue them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, when I was in college, I actually, I lost my father in an outdoor accident and a number of years after that, I was able to complete a climb that he had done, um, and spread part of his ashes. And this was, 
a really amazing moment in my life because it was a hard climb and I was able to do it with some um, really awesome friends of mine and sort of, you know, recreate this moment that he had had and this love. And I've always felt that, I've always felt that being outside like connects us to something greater, whether it's, you know, humanity or the people you're specifically with on any given outdoor trip. But I think there's a real power in nature. So I was able to really, you know, touch it through this amazing experience I had climbing. What an incredible experience. You're combining the the emotional challenge and then the physical challenge exactly. in, in, into one thing that honors your father. So, wow, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Catherine. I, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, I've enjoyed the t- opportunity to connect with someone else <laughs> That's as, as well as anything else. It's yeah. the opportunity to see not just the people I work with and family, but to experience a connection with somebody else mm-hmm. and someone who I was unfamiliar with until this point and uh, yet our worlds overlap so nicely. It sounds like you do phenomenal work with Amigo. So thank you for all the work you do. Thank you. And I, I would totally agree. We are seeing the overlap between the outdoor industry and experiential education and, you know, the international development community, um, which is a really awesome Venn diagram that I think we could draw between the industries. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playtime. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>